1: Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here to continue our Expectations Series, looking at the 2023 Ravens' most significant players, uh, their top 60 or so that that uh, at least have a chance to make the roster. And today we're going to discuss Mark Andrews and Jalen Armour-Davis, two players uh, who the Ravens have varying degrees of expectations for, I think. Uh, here to do that with me is Vas Laricos.
2: Vas, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Ken. Looking forward to our training camp kicking off in a few weeks now. Appreciate you inviting me to uh, collaborate on the series.
1: I appreciate you coming on. Always great talking football with you, Voss. So let's start with Mark Andrews. Uh, You know, obviously in the prime of his career, uh, 28 years old on 9'6", I think that in a lot of ways, the 2022 season was uh, kind of a disappointment from him. And largely, I would blame the supporting cast around him.
2: I completely agree. That was my top line as well. Around this time last offseason, there was a healthy debate in the Ravens' flock of whether the Ravens were going to miss Hollywood Brown or not. And some made the case that Mark Andrews is their top receiver. Isaiah likely can potentially split out wide. Rashad Bateman's coming on. Um, Unfortunately, those folks that were concerned that Mark Andrews would start receiving too much attention uh, were proven correct. His yards per target um, went down to 7.5 yards from 8.9 the previous year, so that's a pretty pretty substantial reduction. Um, His yards after the catch fell from 4.3 to 3.3. 3.3 At 3.3 is considerably lower than those other top-tier tight ends, Kelsey, Kittle, uh, Goddard. Um, touchdowns went down. And so yeah, I think I think we did see that bear bear out, unfortunately.
1: All right, you knocked out about half my bullet points there, but we'll <laughs> work around that. That 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 7.5 yards per target's a career low. He's been on kind of a downward trend because his highest year was his rookie year. I, I think what is the biggest problem here is the decreased value of the marginal targets. His first targets are probably pretty much as good as they were before, though, you know, obviously it would be a lot better if the ball was spread around in this offense in terms of giving a good uh, uh, targets. And it, with Brown, one of the things that was very visible on any kind of film review is that Brown was the guy drawing double coverage when he went over the top. And that would leave a lot of level two, level three opportunities for Andrews, where he's either behind a, um, a linebacker a lot of times, and you know that's been death to the Ravens the last few years of, of mm-hmm. you know where they've been ex- exceptionally weak, um, or or he was you know perhaps covered by a safety directly in the slot. But either way, it's a pretty big matchup advantage for him. Any sort of single coverage um, there with play action it worked very well, uh, particularly in Lamar's first great year in 2019. Um, but things have, have moved along now, and Andrews is such a focal point of the extended plays that I think it's really become unhealthy for the Ravens in terms of of what's going on. You look at it, a lot of the the other totals, his other advanced metrics are, are, are not good. And you mentioned yards per target, that's, that's there. Um, his passer rating throwing to him was 88.9 this last year. That was 33rd of 42 tight ends who had 36-plus targets in 2022. They, he, there were four interceptions among those. That was the third most. The year before, there were nine interceptions mm-hmm. going to Mark Andrews. It's just, just ridiculous total. Uh, it, so much over-targeting of Mark Andrews has really hurt his productivity.
2: I definitely agree with that. Um, I've been doing a little uh, writing for Player Profile, which is a fantasy football site, and according to their metrics, he had the number one target share in the league last year. Uh, as well as number one route participation at 29%, uh, while aligning 39% out of the slot. How, but just to, I wonder how
1: they define that, the, the, the target share, because I have him as second to Kelsey among tight ends. He's 24.4% target share of all pass snaps, but, uh, but that may be related to the play, the snaps that he plays or
2: something. It could be. And I'm not quite sure. But either way, very, very high percentage and one of the most focal points of any offense anywhere in the league. Um, And he's done well considering that. But he made mention of it this offseason, how defense coordinators were uh, giving him more attention than he'd ever seen last season. Um, And I think, uh, you know, certainly due to the surrounding cast, also, I think somewhat due to the formations and the groupings and the way um, Greg Roman would, you know, especially with the extremely heavy uh, packages. Seventy-six uh, percent of their plays last year only had two wide receivers on the field, so that allows that safety to give that bracket coverage over the top um, more than it did in previous seasons when Hollywood and others were helping them out.
1: Yeah, obviously Patrick Ricard, a fairly easy guy to single cover out of the backfield. That's not, uh, you know, not going to be anybody's first concern. And you're absolutely right. Um, and it's not – I mean, a lot of those plays were not two wide receivers. They were one. It's two or less, I think is what you mean. So the mm-hmm. Ravens didn't, didn't play very much 11 at all. Um, and and uh, we've talked about many times on this show how they really used the heaviest packages in a relative sense, probably in NFL history, if not very close. Um, and they've certainly been the heaviest in an absolute sense in probably decades uh since since the 70s or whatever but in the 70s obviously there were a lot of teams using a fullback there were a lot of teams using 22 and you would have had other teams who might have been heavier at that point but but even if that was the case they weren't relatively heavily to the whole league the way the ravens are right now so
2: right uh, according to player profile again 20 just under 24 percent 11 personnel last season in 2022 a little bit of a misnomer that greg roman was not that heavy in previous seasons. And I looked at it, and I don't have the numbers exactly in front of me, Mm -hmm. but I do recall that before last season, 11 was his most common package in his first, was that, three or four years with the Ravens. And, of course, they made some changes, and ultimately um, it impacted Mark Andrews' efficiency for sure.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And of, of all the people who sees Todd Monken come in, sees Greg Roman go out, Andrews is one of the players who should really benefit from the change. There's other players who won't. Uh, my, my contention is Tyler Lindenbaum will not benefit from this change that, that it'll mean more pass blocking for him. It's a tough year in terms of having a transition from a very good pass blocking left guard to a complete unknown that that honestly is going to put a lot more pressure on Tyler. So I, I think there are players who are not going to benefit from it, but I think the boy, there's an awful lot of players uh, who will. And Andrews is, is pretty much at the top of that list.
2: Yeah. It's a given a take. I think, most all the, probably all five of the offensive linemen or the four returning will, uh, will be stressed and tested by more passing. That was Greg Roman, as well as Lamar, obviously, uh, made their jobs a little bit easier the last few years. Um, nine drops, eight or nine, depending on the source last year from Andrews. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he has good hands, but uh, that's not what he, he was. That was a little bit over 7% compared to only 2% in 2021.
1: Yeah, that's, it's not a good number. Likely was a 10% of his catchable targets, I believe, by, per PFF. It was like four out of 40 or thereabouts. Um, the, the percentage, uh, the 7%, you're taking his total targets and dividing <clears> by <throat> that. And sometimes it's catchable targets people want to use and, and get a different number. But either way, you're right. It's, it's, it's far too many drops for Andrews. He would have been close to the worst tight ends in the league at that kind of a number. Um, uh, I would think once you strip out the, the uncatchables Uh, you know, one of the things that I I want to go to some positive things about this before we return to what we're really hoping for in 23 one of the nice things about Andrews is how he's developed and morphed and, and proved to be much more versatile that I think we had originally projected it when he was drafted. He was really thought to be a pure flex tight end, really a wide yeah. receiver in, a, in a, 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 a tight end kind of faux tight end, but he, but he's not that. He's, he's really become one of the best tight ends in terms of run blocking in the entire league. Part of that is a, is a large number of trials, I think, which is always is good. But he's been good as an inline blocker. He's very good at getting a level two, maintaining his feet and making a good block there. So he's been uh, he's not just any kind of one guy and he can even line up in the backfield, even though that's not typically what the Ravens have him do anymore. Uh, More commonly, he, he would did that in the
2: earlier portion of the Roman era. Definitely agree. I think last year he took that final step to being probably an above average blocker from where he started, which was maybe a little bit below. And when you combine his receiving ability and, and offering that versatility, because you're right, when they were drafted, Hayden Hurst was seen as the well-rounded side end, and Andrews was supposed to be the, the seam stretcher, essentially, which he did very well in his first year. But he has – and I really do think he's the epitome of what you want out of a player as far as in the community, um, with the press, um, taking accountability and striving for and aiming higher and, and not – being a diva or anything like that.
1: Yeah, it's it. You don't hear anything from him uh, about unhappiness about a scheme, even though he, you know, clearly he was kind of struggling with it. And the time to talk about that is after the guy's gone. Looking forward to Monk in. That's the time to have that discussion because then it's then it's a positive spin. Looking forward, you you don't want to ever have that discussion when the guy's there. Some people understand that. Some people don't. I, I think Hollywood Brown was kind of a little salty with the way he was used even before he got traded when he was really very open about it. Um, you know, there have been other players who've been salty while they've still been on the Ravens about not getting a contract offer. We've we've yeah. kind of heard that from Matt Judon and some other players. But but I think that Andrews, to your point, um, he certainly got paid. So so he's, there wasn't an opportunity for him to be really upset about, uh, about what was going on. On the other hand, you know, after, even after he got paid the situation with him having these, uh, you know, highly focused defensive uh, uh, attention that he was getting. Uh, it should have been a problem for him. It should have been something he had something to say about, it, or it could have been.
2: Yeah. But you know, as you said, he kept it in the locker room until the appropriate time. That seems uh, to be increasingly rare in the new landscape. You know, the Ravens did a really good time, job for a lot of years of keeping some Chris McAllister and some other big personality, they kept it in the locker room. But uh, anyway, it's good to have Mark. I think he really does exhibit that leadership. He's that kind of player you want captaining your offense.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So if we're looking ahead to 2023 in terms of what you want to see Mark Andrews change, it's, it's really difficult for me to find things that needs to get a lot better at. A few less drops, sure. You can you can you can start with that one. I think actually less contested catches is going to help him with something like that. I, I think that that uh, the, the general theme for me is less is more for him. And I don't think it absolutely has to be less in absolute number of targets. I think he could have the same number of targets in a total in a higher total of passing targets for the offense and with more legitimate read options to those other receiving targets um, being there. And what I mean by that is scheme, these other guys as the first or second read. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if you watched Lamar practice with Andrews in the 11 on 11s, there are just way too many balls going to Andrews then.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and it, it, you know, it shows up even more, you know, during the regular season, obviously, where he becomes a more, a more significant bailout target. So you can start with the scheme. Once the scheme works out, Lamar will build trust with other players. I think he's probably building it right now by having, you know, doing work with Odell Beckham on the side, doing work with Zay Flowers on the side. I think that'll that'll provide some of of what we're hoping to get here. But uh, but he's got to have more potential targets as time runs out on the on the you know three three and a half seconds that he wants to hold the football, and also on the um, uh, you know on just the first and second reads some of them just being schemed away from andrews
2: i think that that'd be great you know the lamar and mark are always going to have that chemistry between them i really do hope that he as far as the good scenario continues to be lamar's go-to target in high leverage situations third downs and in the red zone um and perhaps on a lesser not necessarily lesser targets but a lesser target share as you as you were alluding to yes um and i think if he can replicate the production with on a lesser share i think that'd be great and perhaps even reduce his snaps just a touch uh he was you know just i think he was closer to 85 maybe you go to 80 and uh charlie kolar and and uh as they likely can uh relieve the burden from him a little bit yeah there, there and there
1: certainly are other quality tight ends who need snaps so a little bit more eye drop rising of those snaps i think would be good this year Given how much all of them played and Kolar was out for most of the season until he got activated, but how much likely and he really were used last year uh, and Ricard uh, all those three guys, I would expect each have fewer total snaps on the field and probably fewer targets for each of them as well. Although Andrews could replicate his targets or even slightly more with a lower share Uh, this year. He's, he's been way higher in terms of targets. I mean, in 21 he's 150 some targets, Uh, but that was a case of the ball being really schemed out quickly out of Huntley's hands. Also, you know, high, higher than healthy share of targets from Lamar, which led to a bunch of interceptions. Um, You, you, it needs to be reduced. We don't have to say it 15 different ways, but it needs (laughs) to be reduced. I, I, I'm, I'm so keyed in right now on Zay flowers being the really key receiver for the Ravens this year, I think he's the guy who will end up being able to free up um, Andrews. I, I think, you know, DuVernay had a year to do it last year, and I just don't think he's a good enough route runner or separator to get that done, to really to drag that safety to him, uh, you know, with that higher level of gravitational pull that comes with speed.
2: Agreed. For sure. Um, Nelson Aguilar is also a name to remember. He might be one of those under-the-radars kind of guys that gives you really good bang for your buck i i would like to see that i think you know one through five they're in a really good spot and even to hear mark say after the season you know the other team's defenses were not necessarily respecting the wide receivers enough as someone that's kind of been believing in the theory that you had to have a a tertiary not only a secondary but a third to really unlock andrew's um, music to my ears to hear him not only a theory that i've talking about. And then it comes out of the player's mouth itself was, uh was great. So um, yeah, I think you have to also even Beckham. I know Beckham may not have the same speed, but there is somewhat of a gravitational pull because of name recognition as well. I think. I, I think there is
1: some, I think I'd be very concerned about the speed. I don't think he's a true X receiver at this point in his career. They, they could put him there. I think it's a little bit of a separation mismatch for what he can give you. The, the guy who they are so dependent on to play that X is Bateman. And, mm. and I, I, it, you know, I'm a little bit discouraged about where he is health wise there, even though that's probably not rational that, you know, it, it's reasonable that his injury may linger into the season, even um, given when his surgery took place in the middle of last season, it could be that even this year, you know, the way they say about Liz Frank is that it, it doesn't even recover the first year after and you're, right. you're a year after that. Um, you know, I, I Bateman is so critical, and his route running is such a big part of that. Um, he is fast, but he's, but he's not as fast, obviously, as Flowers, and it, and it would be something where um, if he loses respect at the top of the stem that comes with the first reaction a defensive back makes with a, with a very shifty, high-quality receiver, that that could take away something that we would hope would he would not lose this early in his career. And this is a big year for him. I mean, after mm-hmm. this year, the Ravens have to make a decision about his 50-year option, and it's uh, it's not a sure thing to me that they're jumping on that right now.
2: Completely, completely. Um, you know, it's, it's prove of time, stay healthy time. I am concerned. I'm not discouraged, but I am concerned. I think we could probably make a case that Liz Frank might be the second worst injury after Achilles at this point. I think they've. I think it's worse than ACL. No, obviously not a trifecta or mm-hmm. a complete knee reconstruction, but right. Liz franks—I mean—they really have hurt some of the Hall of Fame players, and they take two, three years to really get back if they ever get back. So, let's uh, you know, hope for the best.
1: Yeah, very, very legitimate point, and it's—it's it's obviously it's one of the most discouraging injuries to to hear about um, when they happen. All right. Let's move on and talk a little bit about a, what a good season and a great season would be for uh, for Andrews. And you could you go ahead and start us off in terms of what's a good season, and I, tell me how you're defining it too. I I said 60th and 80th percentile in mind, but I'd love to hear how you're thinking about it.
2: I didn't quite get to to that level of details for 60 or 80, but I essentially, um, and I may have jumped the gun, but I wanted to remain Lamar's go to. Go to a man on, on third downs and red zones. Reduce, cut the, uh, cut the drops in half, and replicate his production on a lesser target share.
1: Replicate his production on a lesser target share. You, you want an increase in yards per target? Yes. Okay. Yes. That's where I am, too. I, I, I said the quality of targets increase with a reduction in the percentage of total targets, Tim, dropping to 20% from 24.4. So to me, that's a reasonable target. I think it's actually going to be kind of difficult for Lamar to throw less than 20% of the balls to Andrews in a Mm -hmm. a season, even though Andrews is not on the field for every play. You you know, he would be normally entitled to about that number. Um, I think his total targets could still be more if they throw another 100 passes. Uh, Mm -hmm. They only threw, I think it's 488, might have been even 448, but I think it was 488 passes. They're going to have more offensive plays. They're going to have fewer run plays. Uh, with a, with a passing offense and the combination of things which is going to lead to a lot more passes i i would have to believe this year um i want him to return to 8.5 yards per target as a good season and so if we're going through that um and remain a fine run blocker um in fewer snaps so it's so all the all all the things you might expect that's still going to leave him short of a thousand yards if he gets all of that i i think he'd be 850 900 yards 100, 110 targets maybe uh, but he won't quite be at uh, he won't quite be at a thousand yards if he has a good season I think that'd be that'd be fine within the context of a ravens offense that's really clicking on on multiple cylinders
2: certainly certainly I think uh, spreading it out is uh, will be beneficial for everyone um shall I move on to the great sure okay so let's get back to double digit touchdowns uh, and also get over four yards uh, after the catch per reception, only one broken tackle last year for, I believe it was PFR. So, uh, if you can get up back up to five broken tackles. I mean, some of the tight ends can become typecast is kind of a catch it and get tackled or catch it and fall down. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's maybe what separates the all pro season from pro bowl season. Um, the big thing to me, I think for a really great season to Mark is to have be, have a dominant postseason. So, uh, yards per target in five career postseason games with zero touchdowns. So that's well off his regular season averages. And I think that's when the defensive coordinators really get into their bag of tricks to scheme and with hyper-specific game plans. And when the running game comes up against a tougher front and he hasn't been able, he hasn't You know he's been shackled. So now that you have, you finally have the receivers and the offensive coordinator to, you know, threaten every blade of grass, as Monken said. um, That's, I think, really would be a great season for him.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point. If you go back to that 2019 loss, it's just one of the two most disappointing in team history. That and the 2006 loss to the Colts. The loss after 2019, the the wheels. Started to come off the card immediately with a slight overthrow to Andrews that was picked off. And it's just the kind of thing that has plagued him this year in terms of having multiple attention from multiple defenders on the play. Yeah, you know, having a loose bracket over Andrews makes that a very high pressure throw. There was wind involved, so I'm not saying it's all Lamar's mm-hmm. fault or anything. It's just it's it was a bad set of circumstances to be going ahead and and, and throwing that pass and taking a chance with the ball game. Uh, that I guess, you know, people didn't really believe that one interception was going to kill them against the Tennessee Titans, damn it, than the 2019 Ravens. But that was kind of the beginning of uh, of the end right at that point.
2: Well, that one and Khalif Raymond. In Mark's defense, I do believe he had a shoulder ailment heading into that game, which may have contributed to his inability to kind of come down with that ball. Yeah.
1: All right. I, I've, I've got a slightly different twist on this because I'm going to say that Andrew's greatness in terms of a season, is going to really be dependent on how the passing game as a whole works out. So I have Monken employees Flowers, Bateman, Duvernay, and Beckham as multiple alternatives and field spreading. That'll work for Andrews some, but it's going to hopefully work for the other guys as well to have Andrews still getting some focus on their targets. Mm -hmm. So more of a focus of Lamar finding the man matchups and trusting more players on the field Andrew's contribution to that, I think, would be enormous. I think if I'm I, I, other players regularly schemed as the first and second reads is an important component of that. Talked about that a little bit earlier. I think the his per snap productivity needs to increase pretty dramatically. And and the two categories I want to see, I want to see a better passer rating. Uh, and I, I set the target at about 110. Kittle was 140 last year. Kelsey was over 100. I mean, 110 is not really that extreme a number for a tight end in this league. Uh, and I'd want his yards per target back over nine. That's a very healthy target. But again, this is an 80th percentile expectation. I think the chance of Andrews recovering to that kind of level with a better scheme and, and uh, a more pass-friendly scheme, let's put it that way at least, uh, should should really help him. I'm not putting any specific needs on the run game. I do expect the quality of his of his run blocking to still continue, but to me, that would be a great
2: season. Sure. Makes sense to me. I had nine written down as well for my uh, great. <laughs>
1: right, for you, your yards per target. Very good. Yes.
2: Yep. All right.
1: So let's move on. and Let's talk about our second player here, Jalen Armour Davis. Um, entering year two, uh, his experience at cornerback, honestly, still very limited. A very limited amount of college play, mostly drafted for traits and measurables, I think I would have to say, rather than what he did on the field. Uh, and, and that's honestly was pretty damn frustrating in 2022.
2: Yes, four game limited to four games for, for with a hip injury after playing four combined games as an underclassman and 11 as a junior. And he came out after his junior year. So that's uh, less than 20 games uh, total that he's had since he's in high school. Um The concerning thing is that. He was limited as a junior year at Alabama with the hip injury. He was in and out of preseason last year with a hip injury. Mm-hmm. He was knocked out of the regular season with a hip injury. And now he is still not quite up to speed. So uh, you're talking about three seasons and I'm assuming it's the same hip. I'm not hundred percent positive, but that is a little concerning.
1: Yeah. So he came back and was available for special teams in week nine, but I, I, in terms of what happened to him, I saw it really more as a benching than as the injury driving his lack of playing time. Because he had opportunities to come back and play. Or, you know, I I don't think even in the game against New England, it was necessarily the hip. It was he played terribly. I mean, he got pulled immediately after a forty-yard reception. He gave up to Devante Parker. He previously gave him up a thirty-one that was in nine plays. Um, I think there was something about him being very poorly, very badly out of position on those plays uh, that was part of it in the previous week against Miami, he gave up a six yard touchdown to Jalen Waddle. He also gave up a 33 yard play to Waddle. Um, that's a tough assignment, but you know, he caught five out of six balls for 69 yards, or I should say he gave up five out of six catches for 69 yards. And uh, you know, for the year, I think it was eight out of nine, nine out of 10, whatever it was. I mean, 11 out of 11 out of 12, you know, 11 out of 12. <laughs> ugh, <that was> terrible. <laughs> and and it was it was like almost 15 yards of target or something or over 12 eight, yards. A- Eighteen point eight.
3: Damn it.
2: You know, it's hard to find numbers rougher than that. <laughs> I'd
1: I'd I'd love to get a receiver like that. Boy, it's it uh, <laughs> would really be something. Yeah. Uh, there are a few guys in college, like Jamar Chase, who were up in, you know over 14 yards, and there's there's big guys like that. But it's it's very rare that you ever uh, uh, see that kind of number. It's it's very hard to be that bad. Um, at, uh, you know, where does he fit this year for the 23 Ravens? Because I'm not even 100% sure he's guaranteed a roster spot. I think that's how badly his, bad his situation is right now.
2: I I would tend to agree with you. Uh, I think especially being limited to position only work at minicamp mm-hmm. all that time later. I mean, if you came into this year and was healthy and rearing to go and and ready to uh, pick up some, some new techniques from Bernard Wilson, the new DB coach, I'd have more optimism there. Also, not to pile on the guy, but three missed tackles uh on very, limited. very it's, limited he had a he had a it was a very tough statistical season that i don't i don't think 32 percent target rate on place he was in the game so uh yeah all the way from top to bottom Holy it was a tough rookie a year.
1: now that one yeah. i had not heard so that's like uh, you throw to him you throw to him uh to put this in 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 uh, context 33 percent more often than mark andrews gets the ball you throw against Jalen arm davis right. that's really bad
2: and you know the, the Miami game and Jalen Waddle's going to be a tough cover for anybody, former teammate. But he's got the, but Devontae Parker's a guy where his skill set should should. I mean, the market Parker's one of the worst separators in the entire league, and a guy with the length and the and the linear speed should be able to. So um, where does he fit? I don't know. I mean, I think he's really in a, a, you know, obviously a multiplayer battle. Um, I like his athletic profile more than pepe that 's for sure, yep, um, but trayvon Mullen, kai blue Kelly um, those are the guys where he 's and whoever the costa may or may not add uh, within the next month or two I, I think that 's really what it comes
1: down to i, I honestly i can 't see the Ravens going into the start of the season with this group of corners making up their three through five guys. And I'll separate Pepe from the group because he honestly is, does not directly compete with him because he's a pure slot corner. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the problem with Jalen Arm Davis There's no flexibility to move this lot. He's a pure outside corner. So they've got Yasin and Humphrey, and then they need to find their number three through number five guys for that outside corner role. I would presume they might take one slot guy. Additionally, they could even take two and then have Kyle Hamilton be the, 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 the major backup there. So, Pepe might make the team just based on that, or the team might do something incredibly crazy, like move Humphrey back to the slot if they wanted to bring Marcus Peters back, say, and have an extra ball hawk. Um, but the guy, the guys that are make that three through five uh, group, it's just there's a scary group. It's it's um, Blue Kelly was terrible in college last year, and that's that's something I can't. I want to avoid talent evaluator arrogance and say I like what I saw on the field I like some things I saw on tape of him his highlights certainly look good his is is play on a game by game basis if you look at a full game it doesn't necessarily look terrible the results are just awful over 8 mm-hmm. yards per target i mean you just can't have that in a draftable um wider sorry a cornerback even though he might have been had some matchup difficulties in that year
2: yeah, it, it is. It's a tough situation to be in. I think a lot of folks have gotten excited about Kyle with his versatility, but Nichols base, and you essentially have four uh, defensive backs combined with the starting with the pedigree of a starter, whether that be experience wise or where they were drafted or whatever. And then you have a lot of backups. But who, who you in- include? I, I think I
1: know who you're including in that group, and and who would be your fifth if you wanted to get a fifth starter there.
2: Well, that's the that's the issue <laughs> there isn't really someone that i feel could it be Gino? Cuz Gino the question. right could it could be Gino and could Brandon Stevens potentially i think you can piece it together with who you have for week 1 but once you have an injury you're 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 in trouble and we know yeah. um you know cuz Chuck Clark is taking away some depth i mean you're basically subtracting at every single level of defense experience wise at least and that's a, that's a tough so i would personally be in favor of bringing back Marcus Peters I like the way he played, the physicality and the intensity that he brought to the field, as well as the ball hawking. And if that does mean that Marlin does have to play inside more or maybe Rock Yusin plays inside, they've both done it some, I'm okay with that. I know some think that – I think you have – we've talked about this before. I do think Mark. Uh, excuse me. Marlin's physicality plays, and I think he has a chance to be maybe a little bit more impactful, a little bit closer to the quarterback – but you are losing. I mean, then. So I don't know. I think they need to add. Is really what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah,
1: I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm completely in agreement that you add. But there's two. There's kind of two points about things you said that I want to. I want to. The first is I, I really believe Humphrey's physicality plays better on the outside against the receiver. Now you can rush the quarterback with him and do other things, and you can even do that off tighter alignments. But I don't think you want to. You want to try and you know worry about the two or three sacks he might give you. And give up on the other plays where you really need him to cut down on the total number of receptions and first downs that are being out. There. I think I think you need him on the outside. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think he he loses a lot of his value in the slot with what he can do as, as against the opposing receiver. He needs a little bit of time to get to the receiver, and so much of his game is based on taking that ball away at the catch point or even after it. In terms of past years, with by by punching it free. Not in the ball skills themselves. Mm-hmm. So I, I think you lose a lot of that value when you put them in the slot. Now that said, they have a very physical player in Hamilton who could play the slot. But here this is the second point I want to make is that the the, the Baltimore Ravens would be foolish and they would be letting the tail wag the dog. If they don't have the first and most important decision about how they align their secondary, B, but B, where can Kyle Hamilton be a superstar? He's the he is the guy they have who might be a superstar if they can get him in the right place. Maybe that slot corner is his real chance to get, or maybe it's playing the back end and really increasing his ball hockey numbers, taking advantage of his ranginess getting him making more plays as a second man, downhill, over top and loose bracket, whatever it might be. He's got so many skills. They need to figure out him more than you do anything else. And I would start by saying, no doubt in my mind, Geno Stone is a better player than Pepe Williams in terms of what he can give you on the field right now. But that still doesn't make it the right decision because the first decision the Ravens need to make is how do we get 100 percent of the value of Kyle Hamilton out of Kyle Hamilton?
2: I definitely agree with your point as far as comparing Gino to Pepe. Um, your buddy, Michael Crawford, I was listening to his podcast maybe about a month, maybe even longer ago. Mm-hmm. And I originally entering this offseason, I was thinking Kyle plays best Hamilton is going to be on the back end. Mm-hmm. But uh, after listening to him, and I believe it was the one he does with Denard, um, they made some really compelling points about why he may be better off as a nickel. And I'm kind of leaning that way, but at the end of the day, they're going to have to do what's best for the team, uh, and they're just going to have to put the best players they can. That's how it goes. Whether sometimes Marlin has to has to jump in the slot, Hamilton last year, and you just have to put your best five eventually.
1: Well, I see. I, last year, I don't think there's any doubt that they were getting the best five by putting Clark on the back end, Hamilton up front. I mean, I think all all of it kind of made sense because Clark was a was a good player. Stone played outstanding in terms of his replacement for Marcus Williams, way better than the Ravens could expect, really held together the back end. And that was despite really being disadvantaged in terms of single high, not being where he's going to play his best. He's, he's a limited speed guy, does have good reactions, but def- definitely single high is not the ideal position for, for Geno stone. I either want him at dime or I want him on the back end split one of the oh. two. And I, 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 I you know, in some ways, I'm not even sure if I would dislike Gino being moved to a slot corner role with Hamilton on the back end. I'm not sure that would be the worst situation. Um, you know, it'd, it'd be different. It would be, you know, it'd be a big nickel look. It's certainly something you could, you could, you could try and use against 12 with a split tight end and maybe not pull out all the time uh, and 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 have some alternation of Pepe and and him be the slot guy. I just, I'm. I am with Crawford on this, and we had the discussion on this show as well, that, that I really believe the Ravens probably are better off with Hamilton in the slot, but the Ravens need to be sure of that decision because the most important moving piece here is Hamilton. If they allow the 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 either you know the, the minutia of and it's really not minutia, I think Stone is a significantly player better player than Pepe. But if they allow the you know a relatively small decision on on relative talent to drive a potentially large decision about star potential, be a big mistake.
2: Right, uh, it, that's you know your highest draft pick since Ronnie Stanley. He is the queen of the chessboard of the defense, and you you want to you want to make him into that Darwin James playmaker. Um, yeah. So. Yep, definitely agree with that. All right. Um, let's see. We're back to
1: Jalen Armour Davis here talking about it. it's, it's this group in terms of he's got to get through. Caillou Blue Kelly, Trayvon Mullins. I think Brandon Stevens, honestly, they're they're talking about moving him back to safety, and I know the team is a little bit um, thin everywhere in the secondary. But based on how he played at the end of last year, some of the reduced grabbiness – he's one of the guys I would try to keep on the outside. I think not only would it be good for him because he's more of a, of a size and shape fit, I think for outside corner, for certainly than slot, but maybe even than safety where he, he, might be just not quite ideal to play that position. You wouldn't be taking advantage of, of everything he brings to the field. Ardarius Washington is still around. He, this will be entering year three. I think this is, this is probably, he'll be cut and probably gone Although He might stay on the practice squad if he doesn't, um, uh, you know, have a big, big camp and really show out as a player that they want to uh, try and get two good years from Pepe, um, you know, slot corner, so that's his advantage in this. But he and Washington seem to be, to my way of thinking, one of those two is probably going to make the team, and the rest are, are you know, going to be fighting for for one less spot. And the other guy we haven't mentioned yet, but I think he's way up high on the Ravens' radar is Daryl Worley. I think, you know, given the the other guys they have, I think Worley is still one of the significant cornerbacks on this team, and and I think that all the transactions they did to keep him around are kind of an indication of that.
2: Yes, played with very good physicality down the stretch last year. Just circling back to Brandon Stevens, the best attributes that I've seen from him in his, what, couple seasons now mm-hmm. is uh, trail technique and making plays on the ball uh, downfield, as well as – Kind of making um, some plays in the box as a, almost like an overhang. Um, so, but I agree with you. If you can keep him, I would prefer him on the boundary. Ardarius, I believe, maybe a superior player to Pepe at this point. I think Pepe's maybe sort of a James Proche. Just doesn't quite have that level of athleticism required to mm-hmm. make it in the league. Um, so probably between those two, and then but you still need some depth on the outside. So that's really where you're looking for Armour Davis to compete with Mullen. Um, I think that might be the, the, well, we'll see how it shakes out. But then there's also possibility they could hypothetically carry seven corners instead of six. They have done so, it before. Yeah. And that basically you're sacrificing maybe a special teams linebacker for that to make that swap, something like that.
1: It's easy, easy trade from my perspective, when you're a committed nickel team to start with. The, the guy who um, uh, we haven't talked about all, Kayvon Seymour, is a guy they probably love for special teams. It wouldn't surprise me at all if he starts on the practice squad, is activated the first two or three weeks because they do that. Injuries shake out, and all of a sudden they're, they're down two corners or whatever, or even one, and then all of a sudden he's, he's active every single week. It wouldn't surprise me if something happened like that with Kayvon Seymour. and It, it won't be because they love his coverage skills, It'll be just because they value his special teams and they don't mind him being the fifth corner on game day.
2: Yeah. And he's had some moments too. I mean, they're not, he's above the, uh, the DoorDash uh level that uh, that went. Martindale was referring to. I think, you know, he's a good depth player. He's a good fit six. Maybe. Um, I just hope that they don't fall into the sunk cost fallacy with armor, Davis and Pepe and yeah. say, well, we drafted these guys. So, they're going to make the team, and we have to develop them. Some players just don't develop. Day three corners rarely develop. Their Tariq Woolens are few and far between. And uh, if Ardarius Washington or Mullen or Seymour or Worley are outplaying them in camp, they can always do what they did with Dalen Hayes last year and injury wave him and then stash him on IR and keep him in the organization and see if something clicks next summer. But uh, some cost. It's a sunk cost at this point. The draft pick.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think that, that um there isn't any there aren't any illusions around the rest of the NFL that JAD is all of a sudden a player that they just have to have. There might be some team out there who has a coach who's worked with him in the past, probably coach that worked at Alabama, whatever it might be, that says, you know what, if you just give this guy a chance, his problem is X and Y, and and we can correct that. And you know, you look at the Baltimore Orioles and what they've been able to do in terms of picking up discarded talent in this last year, and and frankly, what the Ravens have done as well. um, And and you think, you know, it's not impossible to believe that be true. Some team with a good position coach uh, at corner might be in a in a position to do something really special. And I I don't want to put down the Ravens' coaches there. Um, I think one thing the Ravens would be well advised to do is adapt something that they had done in 2000 when they were really great with McAllister and Starks at corner. And that is basically have a moratorium on those players being involved in run plays. And if you watch the the, the video from those years, they just, they take no chances. They approach the pile and then they stand off. Mm-hmm. And you know, the, the, the Ravens other nine are a bunch of tackling Machine, so it, was, it wasn't really eleven billiard balls; as it was nine billiard balls and a couple of guys who were, you know, just <laughs> standing back a little bit. Uh, really want to see something like that put in place to try and counter all the injuries they've had at, at corner.
2: I think one thing that they did well throughout the the Costa early years of the da Costa there, maybe Aussie's last few years, is have a rotation of three mm-hmm. quality outside boundary field side corners between Jimmy Smith. Brandon Carr, Marlon Humphrey, or you could rotate through. I think that I personally believe that a lot of the Ravens' defensive consistency and success has been predicated on the depth of their cornerbacks yeah. through the last 5-6 years.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a great point. Humphrey won the team MVP in a rotational system like that. Uh I think that was I think that was 18. I but, but I'm not 100% sure. I have to I always get confused cuz 18 Lamar's first year I don't think he won the award. I'm not sure who else would have and I believe Humphrey is the one who played a uh, you know 80 percent of the snaps, whatever it might have been, and and uh, uh, you know scarfed the award or uh, uh, whatever you want to call it, vulched the award. Uh, anything else? Okay, let's talk about anything else. before we get to a good and great season for J.A.D.
2: you know we just haven't seen very much. There's not really a whole lot to. He just inexperienced. So high ceiling where,
1: though. Where do you set the mark for a good season? given the
2: fact that we don't know anything about this guy. I really think where does he fall in the pecking order? So to me, a good season is he secures his roster spot as the fifth or sixth cornerback in uh, looking forward, looking ahead to the 2024 season. So he pl- outplays Caillou Blue and potentially Mullen and dresses for 12 games and, and, carves out a little bit of a role on special teams. I know stay healthy is the goal for everybody, but for a player that's only played less than 20 games since high school, that's definitely the goal for him.
1: Okay. I have almost exactly the same thing. So I'm just going to read it, but almost exactly. Turns a corner in terms of development camp and earns a roster spot. Active for special teams and plays some snaps as the team's number four, or number five outside corner, which probably would be exactly the team's number six overall corner. Yeah. Uh, Ravens still consider him in the plans for 2024 but he's not a lock to stick then. He's just, as a good season would be, he's he's a consideration for 2024.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, reasonable, very reasonable. Move on to great. Let's hear it. So great for me is essentially to follow the uh, Anthony Averett pathway. So uh, started slow. Well, first of all, same school. One was, uh, JAD was drafted to pick 118. Anthony Averett drafted pick 119. Um, similar profiles, although JD's a little bit bigger and Averett maybe a little bit quicker. But he proved by his second season, especially his third season, Averett, to be a capable backup, capable of playing rotational snaps, filling in uh, when a player is injured without being picked on. I mean, he was picked on from time to time. Um, but I think Averett's maybe the Ravens' best success story of a day three cornerback in team history. And if he can kind of get on that trajectory, uh, Armour Davis, carve out that long-term role as a number three, number four, so you're not necessarily having to double-dip a cornerback early next year in the draft, Um, potentially even play some as a a four-cornerback dime, um, which we haven't seen too much of. But now with less safeties, they might go to that a little bit and get his hands on a couple balls, maybe a couple interceptions or so this year.
1: Okay. That's, that is fairly lofty, I would say. And and what I have is, is actually quite similar, though. I think Anthony Averett comp I just love. Play in the preseason not only demands a roster spot, but the number three or number four outside job. So if they got Peters and he's the number four guy, I think that's the best he could possibly do, frankly, if, if, he, if, if that happens. But even if they didn't get Peters and he were the number four guy behind Worley, I wouldn't think that were terrible because that's a pretty secure roster position to be in. And he's going to be active. On game day, for that, he sees the field for a meaningful trial, and I'm describing that as 150 plus snaps. Go back to Averett's rookie year; he had 65. I think the next year he had about 200. Mm-hmm. So we're right there in terms of expectations of the Anthony Averett model being a good one. Um, and then if he's if he fills in during this meaningful trial, um, he plays well enough that he is a 2024 candidate to replace Yassin. Mm-hmm. So I think. You know yassin has a has one of these void deals so he's not around in in 24. uh somebody has to replace him i don't think the i mean it, it's possible but i don't think it's likely the ravens would 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 pull a two year deal with with marcus peters that makes him a guy that that would be the obvious 24 choice so i think they're going to be looking again and it may they may go to the draft certainly it'll be a draft need regardless if armor davis plays 150 or 300 snaps this year. Still going to be a draft need, you know that, that that they'll have. But I think if he's if he's in the discussion, if he's in the you know we have he's a candidate to replace Rocky Sine. If we don't get the guy we wanted the draft, if we don't get the guy in free agency, I think that would be a great season for him.
2: Sure, and they, they're not going to be able to do a whole lot of free agent shopping moving forward. That's just uh, PFF yesterday. Spielberger put out, I believe yep. that. They were the they have the third most uh, deferred cap money out of any team in the league right now, yeah. so uh, it's it's they're gonna have to make some tough choices. I'll
1: plug this show. Brad is going to be coming on this show to talk about that exact topic. So uh, that'll be coming. Oh, look forward a, to it. Yeah, about a week from now. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to it too. Uh, I, I he's he's always very good, but uh, I I like the PFF guys in general, and they you know the one thing. Uh, even if you disagree with with some of the methodology, they will lay out their methodology for you in a way that really allows you to to examine it in a meaningful way. And and, and Brad's very good at that, so uh, uh, that's fun.
2: What, what I enjoy about Brad in particular, it's so hard to quantify and compare teams. How who's being aggressive? Who's mm-hmm. all in? Who's not? Because at, at, there's thirty two different ways to circumvent the cap, and to try to take a snapshot that's that's fairly accurate when you're trying to compare, well, how much did they invest in draft capital versus salary cap versus void years? And it's not perfect, but it's better than pretty much anything else you can find. It's not only
1: is it better, it's a framework. And that's right. what's great about PFF and their offensive line scoring, for example. I don't completely agree with their model. We all know that. We've talked about it enough times on this show, but it's a model that allows me to compare all the linemen in the league. I don't have another a, another source for that. Mm-hmm. So I, 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 you know, I find value in that. In, in Spielberger and Fitzgerald came up with a different draft metric. Do yeah. I completely agree with it? No, but it's a model. And I think w- when you look look at the models that are out there for anything, I think you gain a lot more value from trying to figure what can I take from this, rather than trying to beat it down like you're you're hitting badminton birdies every point that is made about that model. Don't it's the wrong attitude. You have to pick out the, the, the three or four or five things that are really good about the way the model is designed and try and see if you can incorporate that in the next generation of the model. But c- complaining about about somebody else's model and about what's
2: really wrong is just it's it's a it's a fool's errand doesn't doesn't provide you with the value it should. I think they do a nice job of trying to make it comprehensive. So for instance there was something last week and I was talking to Dan Rees and they were saying Look at who who restructures deals the m- contracts the most, and how does that affect them? Well, what about the teams that are signed pre uh, pre backloaded deals or pre that would throw, throw off the entire chart, you know? But then yep. at least PFF tries to make a comprehensive snapshot that encompasses all the twenty different variables that all the different teams do to to uh, to build their teams. Yeah, and you know it's it's.
1: I, I don't know what the the, the the a big element that'll be lost in this, but one of the questions I'll have for Brad is what about the pending contracts? So there's a whole bunch of money tied up. There's only but the biggest thing looming over the Bengals now that is no longer looming over the Ravens. It's it's stuck in the Ravens cap now is the Lamar <laughs> Jackson and Joe Burrow contracts. Joe Burrow is going to get the highest contract ever for a quarterback. Either he or Justin Herbert will he'll he'll hold it for at least some time when he gets his contract <laughs> and. You know, when that happens, the Bengals cap space in their number one position in in terms of that is going to change completely. Mm -hmm. And the question is, you know, how do you anticipate that? Do, Do you find another factor to add to a model like that that would be like, how many year four players do you have now that you have to then deal with? And mm-hmm. and what is my expected cap number for those guys in in, in projecting forward on a three-year cap basis? So I, I I think it's an interesting conversation. I'm really looking forward to talking to Brad about this great guy and an interesting conversation always, but, but, uh, but I'm really looking forward to it.
2: Definitely. Definitely. I'm looking forward to tuning in and hearing what,
1: hear your conversation. All right. Just, just outstanding having this discussion about these two players with you, Vas. always pleasure to talk football. Of course, tell folks where they can find your work online.
2: I am at Baltimore Beatdown, I'm the co-managing editor, been there for over seven years, believe it or not already, Uh, and I also have recently uh, started a new podcast every Thursday night about 9 or 10 o'clock, we live stream on YouTube with Yuri, it's called Raven's Way at Raven's Way Pod, Uh, we're we're bi-weekly just during this downtime between June and July and then we'll be back up weekly as soon as camp starts.
1: All right, outstanding. That should, that should be really good. I would encourage people to take a, take a listen to that because you hear Voss on this show fairly frequently and he's certainly one of the really good analysts in terms of, uh, of what he brings to this. That's why I appreciate having you on so much. Also like to have you on, other folks out there, as I segue this, please hit me up with a DM on Twitter. They're always open. I'd love to hear from you in terms of an idea you have for a show in July really. There'll be opportunities in August and September even, uh, but they become fewer in terms of the days per week that I can allocate to uh, film study shorts. So hit me up now if you've got an idea. Broad topic related to the Baltimore, Baltimore Ravens, I would love to hear about it. Um, and I'll get back to you very soon, I promise you. Voss, thanks again for coming on. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And we'll talk to you next time on film study.